Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans, and welcome to this latest edition of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You can probably tell by the sound of my voice that I am not Carruthers, but I am Bice. So I'm going to introduce this thing. It's uh, today. It's it's Thursday, June third, twenty twenty one, and uh, I have a special. We have a couple special guests on. Our first special guest. Allow me to introduce for a minute. Alexa, play "Happy Birthday" by Marilyn Monroe. Oh man. <laughs> Mr. Doc President, live by Marilyn Monroe on Amazon Music. Not working, Sean. Yeah, it's the crowd. The crowd <laughs> has to cheer. Here it oh, comes. Okay. Mr. Paul Carruthers. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Alexis, stop. <laughs> Happy birthday, Paul. June 3rd, 2021. It's Paul's birthday, and what a day to do a podcast. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> we put him to work on his, on his uh, birthday, but uh, we'll have a fun time here in this one. And, uh, and Paul, what are you going to do for the rest of your birthday? What, what kind of fun are you going to have? Um, after this, I'll probably <clears throat> give it a quick edit so I can get it to, um, so, to Doug so it doesn't ruin his day. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm going to go on a bicycle ride. And then this afternoon, I'm going to play golf. Perfect. Any cake involved? Well, I hope. Sure hope so. Yeah, somebody's going to have to come from somebody else because it's out of my range. Yeah, I wish I wasn't all the way here in Ohio. I would absolutely bring you a cake because... Cake's one of my favorite things about uh, about birthdays. And, you know, the thing that bugs me about the, just one more thing before we move on about birthday traditions. It always drives me nuts when, you know, it's the person's birthday and then the person whose birthday it is has to cut the cake. What is that all about? You have somebody else do it. <laughs> well, well, maybe it's like the honor of doing it or something. Although I don't see much honor in cutting the cake. I'd rather just eat it. <laughs> exactly. Just stick your face into it and you're good to go. So, all right, so let's let's get to our guest. Um, our guest is David Hawley, who has uh, uh, an absolutely awesome accent, and we can talk about his background, but he is our chief uh, marshal for Moto America in charge of a great network of volunteers who show up at our races and do a fantastic job. Um, sorry, that's my dog. I guess he's he's sneezing right now. But uh, anyway, David, David uh, commandeers and controls a group of volunteers that show up at our races and they're the ones that are out on the track if you watch if you're at our races or if you watch our coverage you'll see people in white who come out and pick up a bike and generally you know try to help a rider get back in there or ascertain you know if the bike is leaking or if there are any safety issues with it they work in concert with the flag people who who david is is involved with those guys too so um let's uh let's bring david in because there's a lot about what he does and what his group does that, that, you know, after all these years of watching racing, 
I think, Paul, you're probably the same way. There's some, still some things I don't quite understand about the procedure. So we're going to find out in this, this podcast. But David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really glad to have you on. Yeah, no problem, Sean. And uh, let me say happy birthday to Paul as well. I had, I had no idea. Well, thank you very much. So, yeah, um, I'm the series chief marshal for, for, for Moto America. And what that involves is recruiting, training and organizing the marshals. Um, marshals are known by different names, depending on the circuit. Sometimes they call them corner workers. There's divisions in the runners, catch and all this sort of thing. Um, I generally use the term track marshals for the people who actually pick up crashed bikes, prepare for crashes, um, put fires out and that sort of thing. And flag marshals, who are the people normally in the flag posts who display the flags and also do a few other things like number boards and, and um, occasional signs and that sort of thing. Um, when you see an incident at the Motor America round or at any other kind of motorsport, Usually on TV, you see a crash and um, next time you see the, them come round to that same place on the next lap, everything's been cleared up. Um, of course, this doesn't happen by magic. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people who are working um, to some extent behind the scenes who clear that up. Uh, and those people are the marshals. And those are the people that I help train uh, and recruit. Um, a lot of my work is involved well, well before the event itself, anything up to uh, three or four months, or in the, in the case of MotoGP, because I do Chief Marshal at MotoGP as well, this is something which we keep going all year. Um, we have a, a core group of people who we work with, but we always need more. I'm always looking for more people. Um, and we don't necessarily need people who are experienced because I run a training session at every round. Um, so um, which which direction would you like me to take this, Sean? I can talk about the events themselves, the training, what I well, do. Well, let me, I, I, have, I have a quick question for you. Let's, sure. just, let's just pretend that Paul Carruthers signs up and shows up on, um, I imagine, uh, Friday, do we have to show up or do we show up Saturday morning? And when I do show up, what 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 does my morning look like, or what does what does my time look like between the time I meet you to the time I get to go out and 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 do the job on the track? Well, first of all, if you're going to be there for the three days, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which we do prefer, um, if you have no experience, I would really like you to get there on the Thursday night so I can do the training session. Um, I do a training session every Thursday and Friday evenings at, at every round. Um, the Friday evening sessions are really for the people who uh, are just doing the, the Saturday and the Sunday. And the Thursday evening sessions are the, for the people who do all three days, if, if they're new. Um, but we understand that some people can't do Fridays because they're working. Um, I have the advantage of being retired, so I'm there all the time. Um, so for the days themselves, we normally have the meeting for the corner workers one hour before track inspection in the morning. Um, a typical track inspection might be eight o'clock. Occasionally it's at 7.30. So if it, for an eight o'clock track inspection, obviously the, uh, the corner workers meeting is at, is at seven o'clock. So we start early. 
Um, what normally happens there is we decide who's going to go where on the circuit because the way the corner workers are arranged on the circuit, we distribute the trap marshals uh, around the circuit in places that we anticipate they're going to be required to deal with incidents. Now, it's true that a, a motorcycle can crash anywhere on the circuit, but in, in, usually there's certain places which are more probable. Exits of corners, there are some places where we happen to know people will use it on braking. And one of the things which I have to do is try and estimate or try and make an assessment of where people are most likely to crash and put workers in that sort of position, but somewhere where the risk to them isn't going to be all that high. And I'll say a little bit more about safety later. Um, so we, we have that meeting in the morning. Um, we also put the flag marshals, allocate the flag marshals to the posts. Now the flag marshal posts are arranged in such a way that every bit of circuit is visible to a flag marshal. So flag marshal, say at post one, can see uh, certainly up to post two, usually a bit further, post two can see at post three and a bit further, etc., etc., all the way around the circuit. So we have a set of human eyes, if you like, on every single part of the circuit. Now, we have TV, obviously, but um, no system which involves computers is immune from failure. Um, and we, if we have people at every point in the circuit, whatever happens to the electrical systems or anything like that, we've always got somebody out on that circuit with a bit of coloured cloth who can provide information and warnings to the riders. Uh, and that I can't, that system I can't really see ever changing, despite the fact we've got lights and cameras and all everything else. We got a human being there, and we need human beings who understand motor racing uh, and who've been trained. And that that's part of what I do is to train them to to look for what's happening and give the appropriate flag signals. Um, they then go out on the circuit. They stay out on circuit all day usually um, we provide them with lunches if they can't get back in for lunch we provide them with drinks and then at the end of the day when the races are finished they they come back in now in the meantime of course they deal with any incidents which for the trap marshals means that when you get an incident now i don't say if because you always have incidents their job is to prepare for the incident in the first place, make sure they have all the right equipment, things like fire extinguishers, oil dry and such like, and then deal with the incident appropriate to what, what's actually happened, deal with that appropriately um, with the minimum risk to themselves, which usually involves retrieving the motorcycle from the, the track, if it's on the track, for otherwise from the circuit, uh, assisting the rider if the rider is injured they will do as um, there's a certain amount they can do with it with an injured rider but generally if we have somebody with a severe injury um, we'll we'll stop races uh, and let the medical professionals take over but their job is to clear that incident as quickly as possible and if possible allow us to continue racing um, and Fundamentally, that that's that's about it. But there's an awful lot more involved in that. But that that's 
that, that, that's roughly it. When, when, a, when a rider goes down, oh, first of all, the, am, I, am I wrong to assume that like at each corner, there's probably at least one person there that's got more experience than, than me if I just showed up? Yes, so is there like a, there's a yeah. team leader at each corner, I would think? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things I do have to do is make sure that the people who come, who are new, who don't know anybody, who don't necessarily know what they're doing, are placed with an old hand. Uh, and I spend a lot of time doing this because although I can speak to people beforehand, get an idea of what their experience level is, because we, we get very few people who've never actually been to a racetrack before. We, do, we got one or two. Um, but most people who've, uh, who come along to be corner workers uh, have either raced themselves or they've been involved in maybe another discipline. We get a few, quite a few people, SCCA people, Sports Car Club of America, um, who come over to the dark side, as somebody put it. Um, and if they've got that experience, it, it's very helpful because they know how to conduct themselves on a racetrack. You know, David, what is the biggest, what is the biggest motivating factor you mentioned about some people that have experience, but I've seen from people that reach out and want to get in touch with you and I put them in touch with you and, and from, you know, the podcast that we've done recently at the end, I usually try to do a little bit of a promo and I've mentioned the need for volunteers for Road America and so forth for the season. What, what is the motivating factor? One of the things I've said is it's like, it, literally you have the best seat in the house to watch a race. Oh, Would oh, you say yeah, that's yeah. part of it? Okay. Uh, absolutely. You, you do have the best seat in the house. The marshals get closer to the action than anybody else at the circuit. Clo cl closer than anybody in the crowd, definitely closer than TV. Um, quite often they will have hands on the motorcycles. Um, usually broken down or crashed motorcycle, but they have hands on the motorcycle. You, you get closer. You get to meet the riders. Uh, sometimes not in the best circumstances if they've just crashed but you get access to the to the paddock but you see the races absolutely as they are happening in real time sometimes the depending on your your marshal position the bikes are going past close enough for you to touch just about um, we try and minimize that because we do need a certain safety margin but you will be closer to the to the action and you will see the action right in front of you. You will know what's happening. Um, and I defy anybody to be so close to the track as a marshal and have 50 or, or 20 superbikes come flying past on the first lap. And if your heart rate doesn't go up uh, and that doesn't give you some enjoyment, then you've got ice in your veins. I, we all think it's the most exciting sport in the world and being the marshal is the most exciting place to watch it from. So one of the things I want to ask you about, and this is, um, this is, you, you touched on it a little bit with, uh, you know, a brighter goes down and, you know, they're not in the best of moods. They've got the adrenaline flowing and their big motivation is hopefully the bike's not crashed enough to get back in the race. So we've seen this and, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but you see a rider, he gets the bike up, he's trying to get some help. Sometimes if the rider's smaller of stature, he has trouble even levering the bike off the ground, but he, he's looking around for help. He's checking everything. The corner workers are checking everything. The next thing you know is he wants to get him on, on the back of the bike and pushing it to get it back out on the track. 
there are obviously factors sometimes that prevent that. And they, you know, you got to check for fluids and everything else, yeah. but that rider, you know, he's checking it, but, but he, I'm not saying it's an adversarial situation because to every single rider we talk to, they value the corner marshals extremely well. They realize they're there for their safety and they really value having them as part of the system. But sometimes it's a confrontational thing. And how, how do you, do you train your corner workers to not engage or what happens when you, have a rider that maybe against his own better judgment wants to get back out on the track and and really shouldn't yeah yeah i do this i address this directly in the training um and and it's true some of the riders are different characters altogether when they get on the bike um i don't think that'd be a problem naming names i mean josh heron's a great example i mean i'm sure you've spoken to josh heron many times yes the most polite well-mannered young man that you ever met um very helpful you know frankly you wouldn't necessarily realize it was the same person when you see him riding the bike in a situation when he's where he's crashed uh and i have met josh actually several times in this sort of situation he's in a different mode um he's extremely focused on getting the bike back on the track you've got to try and get his attention very very directly uh, i had the advantage of knowing his name a lot of the corner workers don't necessarily know who the rider is who's gone down they just see somebody go down and as we know the, the numbers are quite difficult to read um so i i have to really try and get the rider's attention uh and if there's any damage to the bike very typically things like clutch and brake levers go if it's clutch lever no problem they can carry on without a clutch but if it's a brake lever that's a different matter they really can't they really can't race without a brake lever and and i i actually was in this situation with josh heron a few years ago with road atlanta and i had to say josh your brake lever's gone it's gone you can't race josh and it it took a few seconds before it kind of registered and then he sort of looked and it was almost you could hear the the switch flip in his brain from racer mode to non-racer mode and then uh, oh yeah right okay and then he stepped back from the bike and let us move it but i do have to tell tell the marshals that you know don't get involved in any kind of confrontation point out the damage if the rider insists on restarting let them um don't put yourself at risk by standing in front of them or, or anything stupid like that and it does happen um if they insist on going back on the track we'll let the race director deal with it when they come back in the pits because they're going to find out pretty soon that they can't race and hopefully they'll get themselves off track and not cause too much much of a danger but a, a lot of this is on balance of of safety balance or balance of hazards that if you try and stick yourself in front of a bike to stop them going onto the track you're putting yourself at risk and as i always say to all the marshals in the in the training the number one priority in safety for each marshal is your safety if you see something which you think is too dangerous to do don't do it uh we've got some some many good examples of that which i which which i use on video um uh where bikes go down on the circuit for example and the marshals just decide it's too dangerous to recover it and we red flag it but in the case of somebody who wants to get back on the bike tell them point out the damage just try and be 
loud about it, try and just get her attention because you might have to be a bit, a little bit pushy about it, but never physically pushy. Don't, don't get involved with that sort of thing. So David, to, I'm going to, since you mentioned Josh Heron, and that's a great example because we've seen that too. Um, but let's talk about a couple other writers and specifics, and it's not in any way to disparage them, but there's two of them I want to bring up. One of them um, was Loris Baz at Road Atlanta. When he went off the track, he ended up in the gravel. The gravel, you know, he, he got the bike upright. He's obviously 6'5", so he can do that. And the corner workers were around, the corner marshals were around him. And, you know, he started, the rear tire started spinning and it bit, essentially dug a huge hole that nobody could get him out of. Yeah. He wanted to get back on the track. He realized he was stuck. He obviously wanted some help on it and it's still, the help couldn't do anything for him. So he had to kind of give up. If he could have got that thing out of that rut, he probably could have been up out on the track by the looks of things. Mm. And, and not to complicate it too much, but I also want to mention Jake Gagne had a situation where he went down, got the bike up on his own and looked like he was needing some help to get back on the track. But it looked to me, from what I understand, he was in a part of the track where you couldn't get a, you couldn't get a corner worker to him because it was on the other side of the track and you can't run across the track, a live track. So can you talk about those two things either together or separately with, you know, situations that do, you know, compound what's going on there sometimes? Yeah. Well, when a rider goes off in a gravel trap, if they, if they open the throttle and spin it, they, they, they've, as you said, effectively dig a hole, um, which if the gravel trap is very deep, it basically you got to lift the bike out and carry it. I, I think with bars, they, they probably could have just about lifted it out of there, but by the time they got that done, he he'd gone off. Um, he had disappeared. Um, oh. it, 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 it's it's probably reasonable because by the time they got him out and got back on the track, he would he wouldn't have got any points. I don't think, but you know that that's a debatable thing. Um, the Jake Gagne situation, he kind of crashed in an unusual place. Um, I. You remember me saying earlier on, we place the corner workers in the places where we think that um, crashes are probable, but people can crash anywhere. And Jake Gagne did go off in an unusual place. And there were corners workers around, but they were a long way away. Um, if we'd had more corner workers, which we've got to work with the number of people who show up, there would have been some people over there. But on that occasion, we just didn't have anybody there because we didn't have enough people. Um, if if there had been there, they probably could have back, got them back in the race. Um, you, can, you can see why I'm sometimes a bit frustrated because we simply just don't have enough people. And on this occasion, it, it did have an effect on the race, may have an effect on the championship. Uh, we need more volunteers. We always need more volunteers. Okay, another question from me. If, if, my my initial reaction would be if a rider crashed and I was a corner worker, my first reaction would be, and it might be the wrong one, my first reaction would be to go to the rider, um, to check on the rider more so than the motorcycle. Is it, is it, do you have it set up so that, you know, two guys go to the motorcycle and two guys go to the, or one guy goes to the rider or, or is it, is that a common sense thing that they have to evaluate before they make the decision? Well, to a certain extent, it's common sense, but I always tell them, prioritize the rider. Um, if it looks like the rider's injured, then go and find out what's going on with the rider and 
use to take the bike as you know, a second point. Um, we had a great example of that at Road America last year at, um, when the PJ Jacobson incident where we had a big fire, uh, which I'm sure you remember, um, where Jacobson and the bike got doused in fuel and both burst into flames, basically. Uh, we had a couple of really good marshals down there and fundamentally they entirely ignored the bike uh, and made sure that they, that uh, PJ um, that was ex extinguished. Uh, I don't think he was burning for very long, but we know he did have some injuries. Um, after that was dealt with, they then went to go and deal with the bike. Um, but the bike, I believe, was beyond repair. I don't know how much they recovered from it, but that was that was a classic example of prioritise the the rider before the bike. And in, in general, that's what we're saying. Um, if a rider gets themselves up uh, and starts to walk off, fair enough. You, you can, I wouldn't say you ignore them, but you then concentrate on making the circuit safe. Uh, but as, as you know, probably 19 crashes out of 20, the rider will get up and walk away. Maybe after a slight delay, they're usually a bit winded, but severe injuries are relatively uncommon minor injuries people walk away from so normally in a crash the rider will will get up and walk away and then they'll deal with the bike but but the rider is always a priority now do you after i mean you have the benefit or of most of the time when there is a crash in the race at least tv shows you know the hectic activity that's going on at the time with the corner workers so i would imagine that gives you the opportunity to review not everybody's performance because you're not going to see everybody but it gives you that opportunity to go oh we handled that really well or oh we could do this differently is that something you do do you look at the video and study it after the races yeah i do to a certain extent when i can get the video um sometimes the you know well a lot a lot of stuff just isn't on video i i always say that one of the things about a chief marshal and maybe all corner workers is if they do the job properly you shouldn't really know that they exist. Um, there's probably quite a lot of people who watch Moto America who don't know that the job of Chief Marshal exists. And I kind of like it that, like that. Um, if, if I hear from the race director or hear from other people, it, it's usually that there's a problem of some kind. Um, but to answer your question, yes, I do keep an eye on things uh either on video or to, to be honest more often i'm personally out on the track myself particularly if we've got new people who've come along um i'll go and check on them and uh see how they're dealing with it um it, being a corner worker suits some people it doesn't suit other people um uh, some people really just don't like the noise they don't like the feeling of responsibility and and that's fair enough if you you know if you give it a go and you don't like it you, fine but most people who who come are enthusiasts for racing and just really love the environment and they love the camaraderie as well it's, we we've got a good good bunch of people uh, we do teach team working we do teach people to support each other um and most people really like it but there are one or two who it, it doesn't just just doesn't suit um you know david what you just said about being somewhat invisible i mean my first love is is motorcycle road racing but i do love a lot of 
stick in ball sports, particularly uh, football. And they always talk about the refs, you know, they should be invisible. Well, some of them aren't. They sometimes elevate themselves by virtue of having the microphone and saying what the call was. So, you know, fans get to know some of these guys, but it's, it's similar, isn't it? I mean, a, a corner marshal is similar to a referee in many ways, would you say? Um, not, not so much because a referee involves in, in, in voting the rules. I mean, you're talking about more like race direction there who are in a similar sort of position. Um, people will be aware that somebody has to be in charge of the rules and that's all done in race control. I know you, you know all about it. Um, but a lot of people won't realize that there's a race director and a safety officer and a rider's representative and stewards who are appealed to if there's a decision of the race director that the rider doesn't like. Uh, and I occasionally do act as a steward myself, not not much, but I, can, I tend to try and avoid being dragged into race control. I prefer to be out on the track. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple a couple of weeks ago, a couple of podcasts ago, we had Rick Hobbs on our race director. And, you know, we talked to him from that point of view and also this judgment call that you have to make so quickly about whether to red flag a race or not. We've brought up a couple of exist, uh, examples of that. But when he calls the red flag, it goes. that's when you guys spring into action, right? Well, before that, usually, uh, we don't wait for red flags for to be dealing with incidents. And to be honest, normally, um, or very frequently, the race director will make the red flag call based on information which is supplied by the marshals. Um, okay. All, wow. all the marshals are on the radio. There's generally separate channels for the flaggers and the track marshals, but the race director, for example, will not know if a crash bike's full of oil unless a marshal tells them. Um, so if they pick up a bike off the track and it's leaking oil, they can tell the race director and he will then make that decision usually to stop the race if there's oil on the track. But if they don't tell him, he won't know. Because uh, you, you can't you can't generally see oil on the track on TV, um, so that that's another function of the marshals. Um, they're kind of their eyes and ears of race direction, because they can see the track right in front of them, and the race director and the rest of race direction, the race direction team, can only see it on TV, which is is not not the best view if you're trying to make a decision whether the track's usable or not. Mm. You know, David, you had mentioned how sometimes you get involved in other things. And I want to bring up something that's specific that is, I think, maybe outside of your realm, but you got involved in, um, you know, whenever we go to New Jersey Motorsports Park, uh, you know, there's generally rain before, sometimes <laughs> grounding it, you know, and it's low ground. And I distinctly remember you last year uh, grabbing a shovel and doing some ditch digging, which is pretty far away from being a corner marshal, or is it? Um to a certain extent, yes and no. I mean, strictly speaking, it's not part of the job. But one of the things I like about being involved with Moto America is that we don't have any prima donnas. We don't have any people who are building personal empires, as you see so frequently in other organizations. <laughs> Everybody wants to do uh, put on a really good event. So if I happen to be the chief marshal and there's some, you know, water's gathering close to the track and a ditch needs digging to get rid of it, I'll do it. You know, that's, you know I, and, and most of the corner workers will help with that sort of thing as well. I mean, quite often the corner workers, fr frankly, don't have much to do during during the day. I always say that being a being a marshal is 
is somewhat like being in in combat in a war you um you spend an awful lot of time just doing nothing sitting around and then suddenly all hell breaks loose uh and you've got to move very quickly and there's a certain amount of danger to it as well uh, i mean i wouldn't like to pretend you're at uh, the same amount of risk but in in that way it is a bit like being in being in a war um good analogy yeah no it is yeah so yeah i i i get involved in all sorts of things i mean as well as the training uh, of the corner workers, I, I, I deliver lunches sometimes, I deliver water. If anybody's got a problem of any kind, I try and deal with it. Um, I've even made lunches sometimes. I, I, I try not to because <laughs> I haven't got the relevant hygiene certifications, though I you know, do understand <laughs> it. Um, but, I t but I take the lunches out. Um, which uh, and the lunches, I'm sure you're aware, is one of the big benefits of working for America. Our chef is is, is pretty good. Um, mm. So for all the volunteers we have, we do provide them with with lunch every day and a dinner on a Saturday evening, and usually usually a few beers on a Saturday evening as well. So um, apart from the fact they get hats t-shirts and sometimes other goodies as well so there are a lot of benefits to being um a, a moto america volunteer um and quite often it's me who distributes these things not not just getting directly involved with the races themselves um, so yeah sometimes it involves ditch digging sometimes <laughs> it involves moving stuff don will have to remember that uh you know maybe he could bring us a sandwich every once in a while if we get busy <laughs> <laughs> awesome. David, real quick, in any part of the training um, or just in your little fireside chats you do with, with the crew that you've got, is it mentioned ever that riders could perhaps um, lay around a little bit too long in order to get a red flag rather than them actually being injured? Yes. Um, and I, I had direct experience of this going back many years. Um, uh, it, I, I first came across it, uh, where was it? In the 1990s, Brands Hatch, the circuit just near London, which you may be familiar with, but probably are, which, which coincidentally is my favorite circuit in the world, Brands Hatch. It's a wonderful circuit. Um, I've, and I've been to, oh, I don't know, probably 75 different circuits around the world. Um, but uh, it was a world super sport race some some years ago, uh, and um, I better not mention the guy's name. We'll call him Fred. Um, and Fred crashed on the circuit, and um, I was fairly convinced there was nothing wrong with this guy. Um, but he was in the middle of the track, and he was just lying there, uh, and I couldn't really get anywhere near him. I was the um, sector chief at the time. Uh, I, and after about 30 seconds of this, I called to the race director, who happened to be Stuart Higgs, who, who I'm, uh, you know, uh, and said, I think we're going to have to stop this. I can't. This guy's not moving. I can't get to him. And so we stopped it. Uh, and as soon as the red flag went out, he jumped up like a jack-in-the-box. Um, and um, nothing wrong with him at all. And that, it was exactly that situation. Um, he was, I guess you would say, playing possum would be the expression to use. Um, um, and strangely enough, uh, the, the race was restarted and then it was red flagged again um, because of an incident involving um, James Whittam, um, who was now a commentator in the UK, who was genuinely injured. And, and then 
in the next part of the race, almost an identical thing happens with a different rider um, at my post. Um, and again, I had a call for a red flag. So I actually think I'm the only person in the world who's called for a red flag twice in the same world championship race, which is not a particular record I'm proud of, but I think it's, I think it's probably true. Um, wow. in, interestingly enough, there's a, there's a follow-up to that one. A um, couple of years later, the same rider, this Fred guy, um, I was at the same circuit who crashed severely um, and basically broke both his legs. Um, uh, and that, that was definitely a red flag. I saw what happened uh, and we got him stretched off. And um, I got a text from a friend of mine saying, I heard that Fred has, t has broken legs. Did you catch up with him from fooling you, fooling you last time he was at this circuit? Which is... Rather, a bit of British humor there for me, I think. Well, you know, David, British humor, yes. And I, I want to bring that up. And I meant to start the show with this, but yeah. since you you alluded to this, you you live in St. Louis, but it's pretty obvious that you don't have a St. Louis accent. So can you talk about where, you know, your heritage, your origin, and, and really how did you get into being a corner marshal? Where did it start for you? Um, I, I actually can remember my first event. Um, I... I my family background is partly Scottish, but I was brought up in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in England, um, which has a particular northern accent, which you can tell I don't talk like the people off Downton Abbey. Um, it, <laughs> it, it has quite a strong accent. Um, but I, I, I was born in 1955, uh, and I went to my first event in 1972, uh, when I was 17 years old. Uh, and I was... At the time, I didn't have a job, and I heard they were looking for volunteers at the local motorcycle races. So I went, I went down there on my bike, and I showed up. It was Croft Circuit in Yorkshire. Uh, I remember it's still going, that circuit. Uh, old Second World War airfield, not a bad club circuit. Uh, and I turned up at the gate, and I said, yeah, I'd like to, like to be a, a volunteer. I heard you need marshals. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, go and, go and see Fred. He'll sort you out. Great guy, Fred. Um, so I went to see Fred. And Fred said, oh, yeah, good. Here's your yellow flag. You stand here. And that was it. That, that was my training. Um, and when bikes started to come round the circuit, I was absolutely petrified. I hadn't got a clue what to do. I mean, I had a yellow flag, and I presumed if there was a crash, I waved it, but that's, that's all I knew. And I had an old field telephone, which was ex-Second World War, where you had to turn the handle to ring through the race control, would you believe? Uh, still in the 1970s. Never forgot that. So I, I, I kind of got involved in the club and I said, you know, you know, you really need to give people a bit more training. This I hadn't, I hadn't got a clue what to do. And I, I, you know, I met a few people and got some tips and got used to it a bit more, went to a few club meetings, but I, I kept hammering on about trying to, trying to do this training a bit better and just bring the standard up. And have you ever heard of talking yourself into a job? Um, it was one of these situations where, okay, if you're so keen on it, you do it. So I did. So I started a training scheme for marshals in my club, which was the Northeast Motorcycle Racing Club in England. Um, and it, it got quite popular and it, it did quite well. And then some years later, when Stuart Higgs took over the British Superbike Championship, 
um, which was probably in the same sort of state as the um, AMA championship was just before Moto America uh, took it over. You know, it reached a little bit of a low ebb. Um, they put together this organization, um, which was very comprehensive, but it also included a marshals organization. And the marshals organization um, required compulsory training, still does. Um, if you marshal a British superbike round in the UK, you have to do eight hours training in the winter before you go onto the circuit. Um, and I was all in favor of this. So I got involved very early on in the UK. Um, and after about four or five years, um, the guy who was doing the training decided he wanted to retire. So he said to me, well, Dave, I think you should take over because you've always been involved. Um, so I did. So I ran the training for the, all the marshals and the British Superbike Championship up until 2006, which is when I moved over to the USA. Um, now I, after that, I'd been I got involved with club racing with local clubs. I'd been a bit involved in MotoGP. Um, down at Indianapolis and at Cota, doing it mostly as a marshal, but doing a few other things as well, helping with training occasionally. And then when Moto America started to come together, um, I, I actually got a call from Stuart Higgs, who said they're looking for a chief marshal. And, you know, I, I think you might be interested. Uh, and later on, I spoke to Chuck Astlin and Wayne Rainey, and it was, you know, it was one of these things where you don't really have to make much of a decision. Um, right. So I got involved with Moto America right from the very start. Um, so the most thing, I'm not a complete fool because I'm still here. So. Yeah. And it's and it's a great part of our organization, David. I can't say enough about what you do to train people. We get uh, emails from corner workers who know you by name and have worked with you and just sing your praises, talk about how you always seem to be in the right spot at the right time at all times. And, you know, everything from be yourself selfless, uh, you know, uh, giving, you know, passing out lunches, whatever it needs to, to do. So real, really uh, a lot of kudos to you. Um, I think we're ready to wrap it up here, David, but you know, normally what I do, I mentioned that I usually try to do a little promotional thing at the end, but if you could, I would like you to do that and uh, talk about, you know, our need for, corner marshals and, and how somebody really can get started. What, what's the first point of contact and all that? If you could wrap it up with that, it'd be great. Well, I'm quite happy to be contacted directly because I speak to people who are interested in being corner marshals quite regularly. Uh, best way to contact me is via email, um, which is dhawley at motoamerica.com, D-H-A-W-L-E-Y at motoamerica.com. Um, we always need corner workers. There, we've never really come close to reaching an upper limit of people. Um, I can go over what the uh, what the job involves, and we can practically use just about anybody as a corner worker. Um, you don't have to be able to uh, lump heavy bikes around after they've crashed. Um, you can be a flag marshal. Um, a good example is my wife, who is probably now our most experienced uh, flag marshal. I mean, she's a 125 woman, a pound woman who's in her in 60s, 
So she doesn't move bikes around, but she's an excellent flag marshal. Uh, and she's particularly good at blue flagging, which is which can be difficult. Um, we do very much welcome, however, young guys who can move bikes because they are damn heavy. And if you've never tried to move a thousand cc stock bike through a gravel trap, um, you don't know what effort is. Um, uh, it, it's a big deal. To, um, so uh, anybody who's interested, we register people on uh, motorsportreg.com. But the, the thing to do would be really to get in touch with me. Um, we'll provide you with food. We'll provide you with free camping at the circuit. Obviously, you don't pay to get in. Uh, we, we bring you in. We give you a free pass. Uh, in normal circumstances, that, that is non-COVID circumstances, which we're moving on to now. We'll also give you a guest pass. So if you've got a, be a best friend, a girlfriend, or a boyfriend, or wh whatever you like, they can come in and they can watch for free. You can stay at the circuit for free. Um, we'll even invite them to the dinner on the Saturday night. We'll, we'll give you lunch. Um, we'll give you a hat. We'll give you a t-shirt. Sometimes we have other stuff which we give away as well. Um, and we'll make you a whole lot of friends. They're a nice bunch of people, Marshalls. They really are a nice, nice group of people. Um, that's terrific, David. I'm um, great, great, uh, great job with the end of that. That's a lot of good information for people. And, um, you know, we, we need you out there and the, the, the riders love it. And as I said before, and David agrees, it's the best seat in the house. And, oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah. occasionally you get on TV as well. Um, yeah, I, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I get emails every so often from friends over in the UK and even, even, even from Australia because um, I, ha I have been to Phillip Island, Australia. I got friendly with the chief marshal there and he occasionally emails me and say, hey, I saw you on TV, you know. <laughs> That's good for us to hear that people are watching from over there. We we hear anecdotal evidence of that and, and see it in our numbers internationally, but that's great to hear from that, you know, you're connecting with people around the world, David. So, oh, hey, yeah. thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. Um, It's high time we had Jan. I mean, you're, it's, it's an area of, of uh our racing that's absolutely fascinating and um you know no better time to do it than on paul's birthday i think so thank you <laughs> if I, there's one other thing i would like just like to say about being a corner worker it, it it can open doors in other countries um since i got involved obviously many years ago now um i've been a corner worker in the british superbike championship i've been to circuits you know, i've been to assen in the netherlands I mentioned that I've been to Phillip Island in Australia. If you've got some experience, most organized racing organizations around the world are in the same position as Moto America. We need people. And if you get in touch and say, uh, to a good example is Phillip Island, I simply emailed the circuit and said, do you need corner work as that can be there? And they said, yes, please come. Um, and that was quite an experience. That's cool. Okay, great. Well, thanks. We're going to let you go, David, and we'll see you next week at Road America for sure. And, yeah. and hopefully this will help bring in lots of volunteers in to help out at that track. So uh, thank hope, you. I hope so. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.